Well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy to see you today. Well, we're going to enter into the Word of God together, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter. That's where we're going to be studying from again this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter 2. And, and as we enter into this passage, I just want to reiterate some of what Lee even brought up. I think that was beautiful how he brought up Romans before this discussion this morning because Romans is, is so clear with Paul's language in chapter 12 there that we can so easily get caught up into the patterns of this world. And we talked about this a little bit last week when the, the vision that Peter gives for the church is to be what? starts with H, to be holy. The, the church has a calling, a mission to be holy, which means set apart. And so when we talk about our vision and calling to be a holy people, that means we're no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but we look distinct, we look different. There's, there's something that has radically changed in us that separates us from what we see in much of the evils of this world. And so our calling then in, in holiness is to be a people that are continually transformed. And this is exactly what Peter's going to get at this morning in the text, is that we as a people then, in a calling to be holy, we must always be submissive and radically obedient to the change that God has for us in this life and what He is trying to accomplish through us. And so the, the vision that, that Peter gives us and the identity that we're going to read about this morning is this vision of living stones, and we're going to talk about what that means and the implication of it, but first I want to think about and process for a second because in the Old Testament, there's a few different references of stones. And one of the most fascinating references to me comes from Ezekiel 36, 26, where there's this promise that is prophesied that God is going to do something in the hearts of people. And he says, I'm going to take your heart of what? Your heart of stone. Now, now, what's the implication there? With, with stone, can you squish it with your hand? Can I crush this with my hand? Maybe if I worked out a little bit more. But, <laughs> but no, there's, there's this aspect of a stone is, um, you can't crush it. You can't mold it. It's, it's not like a silly putty. It's, it's something that's hardened. And then God says, I'm going to take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of what? a heart of flesh, something that can be molded, something that can be changed, something that can be transformed. And so as we enter into the text today, this is the purposes that I want to strive for today is that we would, as a people, have hearts of flesh in a sense that our hearts would no longer be hardened towards the things of God, hardened to the change that He wants to see in our lives, but that we would be living stones. And we're going to bring out some of the meaning of what Paul or what Peter has there in a little bit. But first of all, I, I want to first of all engage the text, and then we're going to wrestle with this together. And so this is what Peter says in chapter 2. I'm just going to work through the whole text together and then break it down for us. And so Peter says this, again, what he's talked about before is our calling to be a holy people. So he begins chapter 2. So put away, in other words, get rid of, 
all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, if we think of Paul's image in Romans 12 talking about do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, are these not the patterns of the world that we see right now? Is this not exactly what we see in the culture and the world around us where, where we see so much malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? It's, it's so prominent, it just absolutely blows my mind. I mean, we look at malice and we see the ways that people are acting in evil towards one another and trying to create these tribes and division against people and create this separation and animosity. We look at the deceit that's going on in the world right now. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but back when, to speak on something, you had to be an expert in it. And now everyone's an expert. And deceit is just mind-blowing where people who aren't even qualified to think about or talk about or speak on things now become authoritative. All you need is your own YouTube channel and you can be an authority on anything, right? Deceit is just crazy in our culture. And, and hypocrisy, I mean, so many people, especially during the season, are, are so confused and wrestling with conviction and how do I live out convictions in different circumstances and, and envy and, and slander to me. Slander to me has probably been the massive thing I've seen. What has broken my heart and absolutely terrified me is not just when we see the culture, but people in the church using language against our governing authorities and calling them Nazis and things of that nature. Like, this is against the will of God, and we see slander just being thrown out of proportion and accusations. And so what Peter is saying is if, if you want to be a holy people, if you want to be set apart, you have to put these things away. These cannot be patterns in your life. These cannot be patterns in the life of the church. These are something that has to be getting rid of. These are something that has to be dealt with and put away with. And then he says this. He says, verse 2, on the opposite, you get rid of something and then you strive for something. And he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so what's this picture here? It's this infant longing for milk. Now, we have a daughter that we're, we're processing this right now because the way we've put Alleluia to bed lately is we give her a bottle and then we put four in her crib so she just drinks bottles all night. Because she is waking up like every hour lately. It's driving us crazy. And we, I think last night was the first night where we just gave her one bottle and she was up all hours of the night. But that's life, right? But, but this is the thing. Babies need milk to grow, to mature, to develop. And, and there's this necessity there for their own growth and well-being. And, and Peter takes the image of a baby who so dearly and desperately needs milk, and he says, this should be you as the church. In other words, you have a need. There is a necessity in your life for growth, and you must be longing for it. You must be seeking it so that you can grow in it. 
And when he's talking about the spiritual milk, he's, he's talking about this devotion to the Word. I mean, the, the thing he said right before this is, is he compared to the living and abiding Word of God that lasts for how long? Forever, right? And he says, this is the thing that's going to transform and change your life, not your, just your life, but generations and generations to come. This is what we should be longing for in life, not, not just reading a book in a sense, but experiencing the living God speaking to us through his word to bring transformation. And so he says, your pursuit in life must always be growth in the word of God, growing up into salvation. Now, what does it mean to grow up into salvation? We talked about last week that we're not just saved from something. We're not just saved from our guilt. We're not just saved from our shame. We're not just saved from our sin, but we are saved for. There's a calling that God has in our life. There's, there's a process in the big theological world is called sanctification, where God is sanctifying us. God is making us the people that he has called us and created us to be. And so we're growing up into that salvation. Now, here's what I think is crucial about this passage. Peter almost has this urgency here calling the church to grow, calling the church to mature. And historically, when you look at what was going on in the lives of the churches that Peter's writing to, Again, they're in northern Turkey, Asia Minor area. Peter writes this letter around A.D. Uh, 65. And at this point, they're experiencing some culture persecution by their friends, by their families. It was more social than anything. But about 50 years later, in 112 A.D., that's when the church actually experiences formal state persecution. That's when we think of the persecution of the early church. That's what we're thinking of. And what was fascinating during that time in 112 AD, that's sort of the first record we have of formal state persecution against the church. And it was, it was a guy named Emperor Trajan. Has anyone heard of Emperor Trajan? Who likes history here? A few of you, right? Emperor Trajan, he, he saw his empire and so many Christians were coming to faith it was changed in the entire economy of the Roman Empire. So the emperor said, there's something going on here. We need to figure it out. So he, he employs this guy named Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger has to go around and see what's going on in the empire. And he starts interviewing all these Christians and figuring out what's going on. And, and that's when sort of formal state persecution comes in with Emperor Trajan there in this region. And, and so Peter by the, the sovereign grace of God, is writing to the church saying, you guys need to grow up quickly. You, you guys need to mature quickly because something is coming either in your generation or the life of your kids where you're going to need a deep amount of maturity to endure through it. You're going to need a deep amount of faith and security and identity in God to experience what is to come. And so he says, you guys need to, you're functioning like infants. You guys need to grow and mature and be built up. So, so Peter places this vision before them of growing up and maturing. Now, what does he call them to mature into? 
Here's what's fascinating. Verse 4, he says, as you come to him. Who's the him? Jesus, right? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And so Peter's almost repeating that language of elect exiles, right? Remember, elect means that we are chosen by God. Exiles means we are rejected by this world. And Peter says the same thing. You as a living stone, as the church, you are rejected by who? You are rejected by this world. You are rejected by culture and society, but in the sight of God, you are chosen and precious. There's that language of elect exiles again. And then he says this, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices. In other words, the sacrifice of your life towards God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so Peter gives all this imagery of this house, this spiritual house being built up like a stone. And automatically when we think of this house being built up a stone, the language and image that we should be going back to from the Old Testament, we did a little series on this in the summer, is the image of what? The temple, right? The temple of God. And if you remember from this uh, summer, we talked about how the church functions as many temples of God, the presence of God that God has displayed throughout the world. And then he says, this spiritual house, this temple of holy priests is built on one cornerstone. And who is that cornerstone? Jesus Christ. The cornerstone, the foundation of everything. In other words, this is everything that we build upon. This is everything that our lives are grounded upon. This is everything that we live for is Jesus Christ. And so what Peter is saying is in the first part, he says, here's all the things you need to turn away from. Here's, here's the malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He says, you need to turn away from those things and you need to turn towards something. You need to turn towards the very foundation of your life, Jesus Christ, because if you look to Jesus, you will be changed, you will be transformed, you will be built into a spiritual house. Instead of being destroyed and following the patterns of this world, you will grow into maturity and faith. This is the vision that he gives before us. Then he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what's beautiful about this text to me, and I want to bring this aspect out, is, is there's this corporate aspect too, isn't it? There's this corporate reality of what's going on here. And, and, and the premise that Peter is giving is, is we are not just stones in and of ourselves. We are part of a spiritual house, a temple of God that God has created for his own possession, for his own purposes, his own organization, so that we can be united corporately together. Now, this is crucial. And I think one of the cultural realities that we face today is there's so many people who believe that they can become a Christian and just be, do life on their own. Who here knows someone like that? I don't need a church. I don't need a community. I know God. I think God knows me. I can live my life. And, and what Peter is saying is saying, no, wait a second. If you are looking towards Christ and if Christ is your cornerstone and if you are in Christ then there is a corporate reality taking place. You are not just being built up as an individual, but you are build, being built up into a spiritual house, a temple of God's presence and spirit. And, and so any, any concept that we can just function as individual Christians before God and we don't need a community makes absolutely no sense in Scripture. It's like saying, I'm going to build a house and I have a rock and... There's my house, right? Who wants to live in that house? Who, who would even call that a house? It makes no logical sense. And this is the same image that Peter is giving is you weren't a people, you weren't part of a people, but God, because of his mercy, he has created you into a people. And if you want to be in Christ, you are in his people. This is the vision that he lays before us. And then he goes on to say this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See, so many of us don't realize that going through this life and the trials and temptations that we're constantly facing and the temptation to act in the way that Peter has said to put away these things that's a war going on. It's a battle going on. I mean, who here fights the battle of sin every day? And what Peter is saying is, is you need to be urged into this because if you don't take this seriously, you will be devoured by it. You will be devoured by it. Now, here's, here's the witness that comes out of this. If we want to be a holy people, if we want to be a set-apart people, this is the instruction that Peter gives. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. In other words, Gentiles is another word for nations. Again, what was the Israelites? What was their calling to the nations? They were supposed to be a, a light and a blessing, yeah, a people to proclaim Yahweh. That was their mission, right? 
And Peter's saying the church now has that same mission, that you have a mission to the nations to be honorable, to be people of character. So this is what he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so Peter's saying, your very calling as the church, your very calling to function as a holy nation, your very calling to not just be hardened in your heart like stone, but being softened so that God can work in and through you and develop your character and who you are, this all serves as a witness to the community around you. This all serves as a testimony to what God is able to accomplish in the life of his people. This serves as a gospel proclamation of what God can do in and amongst people who are naturally rebellious against God. And so Peter lays this vision of mission before us. And and so here's what I want us to do next. Out of this text, there's so much that could be said. But what I want us to do for this time is to go into a time of contemplation, go into a time of prayer. I know a lot of you have been asking what the rocks are for. I'll explain that in a second. A few people made the jokes about, are we getting stoned today? And I said, no. (laughs) And you could take that two ways, drugs or torture, I don't know. But, But here's what I want us to envision for a time of prayer and contemplation. It is is if that we are going to be living stones being built up into a spiritual house, in other words, amplifying the very presence of God to this world, then we need to be constantly allowing God to transform our hearts and our minds. We need to welcome God's pursuit of us and God's transforming power into our lives so that we can be a witness to the world and community around us so that they would see our good deeds, they would see our character, they would see our love and mercy and grace and forgiveness one another, and that they would see that God is truly at work and celebrate. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. And so what I'm going to have for us is just a time There's going to be a time here and now, just a space for you to pray. And the conversation I want you to enter in with God is just asking the question to God, what do you want to soften in my heart this year? What is it that you're calling me to this year? Where have I been practicing all the things that Peter says to put off And what do I need to put on in light of it? And so maybe there's a bunch of examples up there you could process, you could work through. You're by no means limited to these words. I just thought I'd have words to help enter into that conversation with God. But maybe it's been a season of pride for you. And maybe it's been a season where you've thought you've been right about everything and you've You've thought that your ways is always the best. Well, maybe you need to pray for God to humble you. And maybe you need to commit this year to pursuing humility. Maybe this has been a season where everything has been complaint. (laughs) 
And I think there's room for lament with God, but maybe it's been complaining about everything, circumstances, situations, hardship, government, whatever it may be. And maybe you say, God, maybe I just need to be a thankful person this year. Maybe I need to exercise gratitude. Maybe I need to live in a, in a posture of thankfulness each day. And maybe you've been someone who are, are completely and utterly just critical. And you've criticized everything. You've criticized whatever it may be. And maybe God's just saying, you know what, instead of criticizing everything, maybe you could be a person of encouragement. Maybe you could speak words of encouragement to your family, to your friends, to the church, to the community, people that are so discouraged that don't need more criticism, just encouragement. And so you can process and have conversation with God and all these things, but what, what this exercise is doing is saying that, God, my heart is naturally hard. Who naturally has a hardened heart here? <laughs> Every hand needs to go up. And saying, God, you have promised that you would take this heart of stone and make it into a living flesh and a living stone that can be molded, that can be shaped, that can be recreated for your purposes. And so whatever that conversation with God is like, I'm going to encourage you just to think of one word, one character aspect, one thing that God is calling you to pursue this year. And that out on the table out there is a bunch of rocks. You can pitch whatever rock you want. And then there's some Sharpies there too. And I just want you to write whatever that word is on that stone. And whatever that is that God is calling you to this year, just write it on that stone. And what we're going to do is we're going to put all those stones out in the, the entrance in the west entrance side of the glass doors there. And they're all just going to sit there this year. And you don't have to sign your name in it or anything, so it can be completely random. No one has to know what you wrote. But then as we come and gather each week this year, we'll be continually reminded and saying, that's what God is calling me to. And maybe you see someone else's and you see another word and you say, okay, well, that person is struggling with that. How, how can I help the community? How can I help others grow in those areas? And it will just be a constant reminder of God's shaping of our hearts and God building us into living stones for his glory, for his purposes, so that we'll, the community around us will see the good works, the character, the transformation and that God would be glorified among us. Amen? Amen. So don't rush this process. Take as much time as you need. Um, there's not enough space over there for us to all go at once anyway, so just be in prayer. Take your time, but as you're ready, go out, grab a stone, write that word, and simply pray to God that he would take your heart and heart and soften you to live out what he has called you to be and to do.